It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. To Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami. Uh, welcome back, Francis. How are you? I'm doing great, and just for the, for clarity's sake, for my public, he's not on my payroll, so uh, I really appreciate that intro, David. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. So let's talk about what initially began as a media story back in mid-April and forward, but something you've talked about, and certainly with Miami as an international city, gateway to the Caribbean, to, to Latin America writ large, and to the rest of the world for that matter, uh, and also with the importance of being an anchor for the state of Florida. The future of governance, the future of younger GOP members, and uh, how, how the GOP can use this going forward to be successful. Well, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from what we call the Miami Miracle. You know, we follow three simple rules in Miami, and it's been the sort of secret to our success. The first is we keep taxes low. We've kept taxes at 1960 low, you know, low tax levels. And ironically, what's happened is our budget has actually doubled in size because of new investment uh, and property value appreciation. So we've kept taxes low, yet we have significantly more resources. The second thing we've done is we have focused on quality of life. We're going to an experiential world where, uh, you know, we look at things that are return on time instead of return on investment, time being our most precious asset. So we focus on things like, you know, increasing funding for police while other cities decrease funding for police. We focus on homelessness, which is the lowest level since 2013. Uh, we focused on, uh, you know, on, on parks. We just invested $100 million uh, investment on a linear park. We focus on sports. We have, we're the only city in the world, not in America, in the world, that has the five major sports and Formula One. And then the last thing is, you know, we focused on this, this, this inflection point, which is the innovation economy. We're number one in the nation in wage growth. Uh, and the reason why is because we continue to attract high paying jobs because in Miami, we're fundamentally pro free market. Uh, you know, we're pro uh, capitalism uh, in the sense of the fact that many of us in Miami uh, flee, uh, you know, fled uh, communist dictatorships and understand that government taken to its logical extension doesn't work and will never work. My guest, uh, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, uh, you know, looking to take all these things you talk about and turn them into advancing things for the country. Look, it, respectively, the stories that were written then were talked about the youth vote, uh, the midterm elections, how you could be an example for that. But it's the ideas that need to carry forward and people's success, um, Francis, uh, for their success, they need to understand why they're successful. A lot of people are moving into Miami. There are also a lot of out, uh, there's a lot of out migration from more liberal states like New York and Illinois and others coming into the Miami and surrounding area. And that, we've seen change the makeup. They enjoy the success because of the policies, the things you talk about, free markets, looking at new technologies, looking at Bitcoin, crypto, looking ahead into the future. Uh, so how do you bridge that and make it effective so people understand what is successful so we don't repeat the mistakes that they have in these other cities and states? Well, you know, you have to look at some of the metrics, right? So, 
if you think about a city like or a state like New York, uh, the median income in New York, I'm sorry, the median house price in New York is a million dollars. The median, like the middle house price. The median house price in Miami is 500000 So you're talking about a two to one difference. Then you're paying an additional 13% in taxes. So if you live in New York and you're in the highest tax bracket, you are literally paying 50 cents of your dollar. 50% of your income is going to government. Um, when you consider all the other taxes that get layered on, property taxes and everything, you're probably paying 55, maybe even 60% of your income in taxes. That is just, that's socialism. You know what I mean? That's, that's where the government is making more money off your productive capacity than you are. That is not a recipe for success. And then when you, when you layer on top of that, you say, well, government has all this money, so you, you must have a perfect society, right? You must not have any crime. You must not have any homelessness because government's taking 60 cents of my dollar, right? I'm working hard to earn this money, and I'm giving 60 cents of it to government or 55. So everything's got to be perfect, right? Wrong. You know, that's not happening either. So, so people have finally figured that out, and they realize that they don't have to physically be in a place to, get, uh, to do business. So when the pandemic happened where you had remote work and Miami was open while other cities were relatively closed, what, you, what happened was a phenomenon where everybody came to Miami and then you had critical mass, which was sort of the last thing that we were missing. You know, you have all, you know, we've moved $2 trillion in assets under management companies in the last 18 months, $2 trillion with a T. So you, we have, it's been a seismic shift. I call it a, a change in the gravitational center of gravity of the country to Miami. And now, if you lived in New York, if you lived in Chicago, if you lived in Philadelphia, if you lived in Los Angeles or San Francisco, you don't have to go to any of those places to do business. If you're in Miami, you can do business with the venture capital community that's increasingly here, with the private equity community and the hedge fund community that's increasingly here. You don't have to go anywhere. So the beauty of us is we are what I call the epicenter of capital or the capital of capital. We're in the middle of five mega markets, New York, uh, California, South America, the Middle East, and Europe. And so none of those markets are closer to the other five than we are. And that's a geo strategy, right, a geopolitical strategy that we have uh, sort of transitioned from, as you mentioned at the beginning, from the sort of capital of Latin America to a truly global city with, uh, you know, global capital that can allow you to scale a company um, and grow a company if that's what you're trying to do. My guest, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, one of the questions uh, that was brought up recently and still being discussed in the media in some quarters is the youth vote and the boomer generation, this transition. Uh, Do you see an opportunity there for all the things we're talking about and therefore an opportunity for the Republican Party to properly make sure people come into the party and stay into the party? Youth vote from the boomers to the youth vote? I think there's a huge opportunity, David. Uh, you know, we're seeing this transition happen in Miami. I'm the first of my generation mayor. I took over for a boomer a mayor. And, and with that generational transition, you see generational improvement in processes. So we now are number one in the nation in tech job growth, number one in the nation in tech job migration. As you said, we use crypto as kind of our uh, David and Goliath slingshot. Uh, to, to beat the Goliath, which was Silicon Valley, and, and take over the next generation technology and create a tech ecosystem that just in crypto, for example, has brought $200 million uh, as a naming deal for our arena with FTX, uh, you know, the big exchange. It's brought the, you know, the Bitcoin conference, which is like 50,000 attendees and tens of millions of economic development dollars for our city. It's brought, 
you know, exchanges like eToro and blockchain.com to locate their headquarters and other funds like Galaxy uh, to locate offices in Miami, which are creating hundreds of high paying jobs. So, you know, people talk about crypto in terms of the technology and is it volatile and the price and this, that, and the other. I look at it as the ecosystem build, right? The, the, the jobs, those are paid in dollars, <laughs> you know, mostly. The, the, the $200 million, you know, uh, a naming deal, that's a $200 million deal, right? That's, that's, that's dollars coming into our community. You know, when you got the conference, like Bitcoin conference, that's dollars coming in. So, so I think the youth Republican vote wants an inspirational, aspirational, and generational message. And if you can communicate in those silos and in those terms, you're going to turn on a generation of voters. And I think there, there's been always a misperception that if you're young, you must be a Democrat or, or only the Democratic messaging appeals to young voters. And I think that's absolutely wrong. I think um, uh, young people in America are fundamentally American. They love this country. They know that if they work hard, they want to be able to provide for their families. Um, they don't want to have to pay excess amount of taxes. They want the United States to have a strong foreign policy and not have, you know, the disastrous uh, foreign policy that we're seeing right now, the incoherent and disastrous policy. You know, they, they want a sensible level of immigration that allows us, uh, you know, to have uh, that is a good economic you know, driver, right? A, sort of a, a connection between immigration and economics, which we haven't seen in a generation. And, you know, th th those are the things that they're focused on. And, and you know, if you look at uh, the largest minority demographic in the country, Hispanics, uh, which I happen to be one, uh, you know, they're increasingly Republican, too. So there's a there was a recent poll done uh, published by The New York Times not that long ago that showed that Republic uh, that Hispanics had come even uh, with Republicans. And in, in Florida, part of the, the majorities of Florida that have gone Republican in the last two presidential cycles. And we have a Republican governor, two Republican U.S. senators and a Republican uh, state legislature, right, both Senate and House. Um, that's in part based on the fact that you've got Hispanics trending Republican uh, increasingly because, you know, there's this presumption that they, all they care about is immigration, which is not true. They care about a pro-family agenda. They care about uh, pro-economics. They care about empowerment. They care about, you know, having a positive future for themselves and their children. They're law-abiding. Uh, they want the law respected. So I think that there's a lot of misperceptions about how you communicate with young voters and Hispanics. Let's bring this down to the street level, and I do want to talk about uh, your work and the importance of the U.S. Conference of Mayors as well, but down to the street level. And in every city, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's reality that there is a, a poorer neighborhood, an area that's underserved. There is a history, for example, in Overton and in Liberty City in Miami. And, and recently, I've gone to a couple of the food banks there and gone to some meetings in the neighborhood. I'm looking around. I see people who want something more, but I see something else there, Francis. What I see there are the very same people, and in general, the age group is around 70 or so, the very same people who are incapable of even understanding what needs to be done. As I sit through these board meetings, I look and I see people who don't know how to help their own community. So lack of education is an issue, but there are also those who simply use the issue, use the situation, use the position. And this has to be tackled, not just in Miami, but in America's cities, because the more people you bring up and out, they can stay, rebuild their neighborhoods, the better overall for society. So they're, in a sense, both victims of a system that may be lacking in education and opportunity, uh, jobs or otherwise, but also 
I'll be blunt about it. You've known me a long time. I'm pretty straightforward on some things. They are being used by the very people who claim to be their leaders, and they happen to be Democrats. Yeah, and, and you know, there's good news on that front in on Miami. It's a big product of the 12 years in public service that has been my work. What we've tried to do in those communities that you mentioned is empower people, right? And how do we do that? Uh, first, we, we work with the private sector to build uh, high-quality, affordable housing. Uh, we did that through public-private partnerships. Right? We didn't do it the way government has traditionally done it, where you do public housing that, that looks like a, like a jail cell or a mental facility. Right? These look like brickle condos uh, in, in Overtown, and we have uh, you know, re, rebuilt the entire community. We spent over $100 million at a leverage rate. That was 10 to 1 or 15 to 1, meaning for every dollar we put in, the private sector put in 10 or 15 dollars of its own in the capital stack, right? The other thing we did was, in Overtown in particular, was a food desert. We didn't have a supermarket. I mean, imagine a neighborhood without a supermarket. I remember once counting in my old home three supermarkets that were within walking distance of my house. So we, 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 we did a, a, a partnership as well with a, with a supermarket chain where we built out, uh, we, gave, you know, we did the build out at our cost uh, to make it attractive for them. They came in, they signed a long-term lease. Uh, so we, we're focusing on the nutrition uh, aspect of it. And then we created a poverty initiative, which was kind of like a, almost like a, like a venture fund, right? Like, you know, you see these sovereign wealth funds. And what it was, was, was like, a, uh, you know, give us your best idea of how you, how the private sector can solve poverty, how the NGOs and the community-based organizations can solve poverty. And we kind of do like a competition, and then we, we see those, those entities, right? And, and then we help them kind of get going. And then they get their own funding and, and continue, right? So we, we, we funded that as well. And, and so that, in conjunction with keeping people safe and keeping people employed, right? Our employ, unemployment rate, I, I saw this in Bloomberg, and I almost fell off my chair, is 1.4%, which is you know, significantly below cyclical unemployment. Uh, I didn't even think it was possible in my economics classes. So you know, people are working here in Miami. We're number one in wage growth. Uh, so, you know, inflation is killing people, particularly poor people across this country. And uh, Miami is best equipped to deal with it because even though our rental prices are going up, guess what? They're going up in Austin. They're going up in Denver. They're going up in New York. They're going up everywhere because government has spent too much money and there's supply chain issues, which is exacerbating inflation. But, you know, for the poor people in our community, they're the ones that get hurt. Right. Because they have their money in bank accounts. They're not getting a return on their money. Right. There's no interest rate and their money's losing purchasing power. Right. By definition, they're actually losing almost like somebody's taking money out of their account. So, you know, we've got to do what we can to create fairness and fairness and opportunity and fairness in education, as you said, uh, which is why we've done. We've kind of hacked our way through that issue uh, by doing a partnership with the large community college, largest in the country, Miami-Dade College. Well, we did a, uh, a charter school with the community college where if you graduate, you go for free. The kids in our, our city go for free and they graduate with an associate's degree in a tech field so they can go into an eighty, ninety, one hundred thousand dollar a paying job. So that's another great partnership that we uh, that we engage in so that we could really deal with this issue. And then lastly, we take care of the most vulnerable, which is the homeless. You know, we have the lowest homeless rate since 2013. Um, we have 510 homeless in our city and we put out a plan a couple months ago. Uh, to be the first major city in America to have zero homeless. And that's something that we're really proud of. 
Well, these are all good things that need to go ahead. Let's move to uh, governance across America. Uh, You're the president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, uh, cities 30,000 and up. Uh, for yep. those of you who may not be aware of it. And, you know, while there are a lot of things that we can point to, even at the state level in the governor's mansions around the country, or certainly at the pres- at the, the federal level with uh, the House and the Senate, mayors and municipalities have an opportunity right now. There is a lot going on with markets, bond markets, uh, municipal structures, local governance that can help fuel change, real change, not the constant back and forth between the political parties and systems and whether they're not, you know, whether they're independently elected or otherwise, but the municipal level can do a lot for this country. You're the president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. What's your or what are some of your primary goals, your efforts to help others govern properly and do what has happened and what you continue to do in Miami? Well, for me, uh, it's about keeping it simple, keeping the agenda uh, straightforward. And I, you know, think that the success that we've had in Miami can be replicated and scaled. Uh, it takes political courage. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's, uh, it's not always easy, right? It's not always easy to keep, to lower taxes and keep taxes low uh, for some. Uh, it's easy for me because I, I believe in it fundamentally. Um, it, you, you know, it may not be easy for some. Uh, they may get pressure from their community uh, when they uh, increase budgets for police department. But a lot of other communities, like some of the communities you mentioned in Miami, you know, if, if, if we decreased our funding for police, they'd be up in arms, because they want to see police officers, they 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 want to see more patrols. They want to see uh, they want to feel protected. Uh, so you know, quality of life things like homelessness. We've given them best practice models uh, from Miami. We have the Homeless Trust, which is a uh, you know uh, a, a, an organization that has uh, been funded through bed tax, through tourist tax, so it doesn't affect the local uh, taxing process. Uh, and 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 basically have generated fifty million dollars in annual revenue that we have used to create a decentralized set of centers that can house a treat uh, for alcohol addiction and, and for drug addiction, uh, mental health disorders, and also vocational training so that people can get back on their feet and get into transitional housing and get back into society, right? That's been a very, very uh, proven uh, successful model in, in Miami. So we're trying to take that national. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you this, a few things that I've learned. I've been president of the Conference of Mayors since January 3rd. I'll tell you a couple of things I've learned. The first thing I've learned is all mayors, despite my differences in maybe philosophy or ideology, they're all fundamentally good people who fundamentally want their cities to be successful. We may not agree on how to get there uh, on all of them, but, but if they could push a button in the morning uh, and solve every problem in their city, they'd be pushing that button like lab rats. You know, I'm convinced of that. Uh, now that's number one. Number two, a lot of times mayors, even Democratic mayors, right, even Democrat mayors, you know, they're dealing with problems that are beyond, you know, you kind of alluded to it when you talked about states and governments, right? Like, for example, in New York, the 13% income tax is a state income tax. So if I'm the mayor of New York, uh, you know, Eric Adams, I cannot, I mean, I could try to influence that policy, but I don't have direct control over that policy, right, which is not a good policy for the state. Uh, you know, you have uh, DAs that are independently elected that don't want to prosecute crimes. I mean, that's crazy. And you have mayors, even Democrat mayors across the country fighting with their DAs to tell people, hey, you got to prosecute crimes. You know, uh, if you have a CBS or a Walgreens leaving 
San Francisco or leaving town because uh, you're not prosecuting crimes, then, you know, you're, you're disadvantaging your community that relies on the products that they sell. Right. And, and the signal effect is not a good signal effect. So you have mayors across America that are fighting, uh, even Democrats that are fighting against other Democrats, uh, you know, who are prosecutors to get them to actually do their job. Uh, and I've seen that in places like San Francisco and, and, in, uh, and in Chicago. Right. So, you know, I, I want to be supportive of those mayors efforts. If they're fighting with teachers unions on issues of, of, of competitiveness for their children, of getting uh, their children to have better uh, opportunities and choices in schooling uh, and, com- and competition in schooling, I'm going to be supporting those, those mayors, whether they're Democrats or Republican, because those are principles that I think are going to push their cities forward. And so um, it, it's been uh, really great. It's been a blessing to serve the mayors of America. Unfortunately, there are a lot of tragedies like what we saw in Buffalo um, just, uh, just this week uh, where, you know, obviously a, a deranged person went in and, and shot up people in a church. Um, you know, it, it, it's sad when you, when you see these, these shootings continue uh, and we've got to find a, a way, uh, you know, to, to, to deal with that. Uh, but, um, you know, a mayor's job is 24-7. And so, um, you know, it, it's really been a privilege to be able to serve the mayors of America. Well, Francis, keep up the good work, my friend. We have a lot of work to do all across this country uh, and lead by example. That's that's what you can do. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Uh, uh, hello to everybody in the fam. Thank you. Same to you. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, uh, the future of the party, the future of the country, the municipal level. We talk about going local. Your mayors are there. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.